so blessed to hear the praises of God's people. Oh, it's so rich. It's so rich. So good to be together, to sing together, to learn together. And uh, we want to learn this morning uh, from the book of Titus. And so if you could turn to chapter 3, we're going to see what God has for us this morning. Uh, Titus chapter 3. We'll read the first five verses and then ask God to teach us. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we can sense your very real presence this morning. And we thank you that as we lift our voices together, as we share our praises, we know you're pleased. And Lord, we also know that you'd be pleased That as we read your word, we'd recognize it as your voice to us, your words to us, and that you'd be pleased if we respond to them. So Holy Spirit, by your power, help us to respond to what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I once uh, read a case history of a man who, because of an error during brain surgery, had the wrong part of his brain removed so that his memory was totally destroyed. He was able to function all other ways, but without a memory. That meant every day he picked up the paper, he read it as if he'd never read one before. I mean, every time he met somebody, it was this as if he'd never seen them before. I mean, think it. Every time he read directions on something, it was as if he never knew what to do. Every time he heard a piece of music, he heard it as if he had never heard it before, as if it was the first time. Every action he engaged, with, engaged in was as was if it never happened before. Every moment of his life was spent relearning. That's an arresting thought to me. Because I realize how much we depend on our memory. I mean, if we didn't have memory, we'd spend every moment of our lives relearning. But because we do have memory, we can store up things we've learned, and we can accumulate experiences Then we can recall the experience and knowledge that we have and hold on to them so at any given moment we can search our memory and bring to mind those experiences. 
without having to relearn them. I mean, memory enriches our lives unbelievably. However, we do have a problem with memory because if your memory is like mine, we forget things. What parent here hasn't said to your child, brush your teeth? Do I have to remind you again? There's a lot of moms, especially right now, shaking their head. How many times do I have to remind you? Kids, you're probably going, how did he know? that my? How did he know? We all need reminders. It's significant. It's interesting to notice how often Scripture insists that as our spiritual experience is concerned, we need to go on being reminded. Matter of fact, the Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples shortly before his departure told them that the Holy Spirit would come, and here's what he said, bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Why? Because they would need to be reminded. And not only does Scripture often tell us those in positions of Christian leadership have part of their responsibility is to remind people, it also goes to tell us why. Because if you and I are to mature, we need to be able to recall truth and experience all we've accumulated over the years. We build upon it. It speaks to our tendency to forget. And what we need are constant reminders to bring experience into line with the truth we've already been giving. And so verses 1 through 5 begin with the big word, remind them. Remind means they had learned it at one time. They had been exposed to this at one time. Paul tells Titus, remind them. They need, to be, they need to remember some things that are incredibly important. I journalized, I've shared before, and I spent some time this week reading over some things that I'd forgotten. That my memory, um, I'd just totally forgotten. And I really needed the reminders. And one of the neat things was currently I'm reading through the Bible in a year, and I just read a passage in 2 Kings not long ago, and I'm reading my journal, and there's an entry about that same passage. And I'm like, I didn't pick that up this time. And so I had forgotten. So I was reminded of part of the thrust of that passage. You see, we need reminders. Three things in this passage I want us to notice concerning what we need to be reminded of. How we used to live how we were saved, and how we are to live. Let's break it down a little bit more. Paul talks about first, verse 3, how we used to live. He tells Titus, it's important to remind God's people it's healthy for believers, if maturing spiritually, to have some sense of orientation. And that orientation comes through knowing where we used to be. For we also once were foolish ourselves. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. At one time we were foolish. In other words, we were darkened in our understanding. In New Testament times, to be foolish was to be a void of knowledge, of sensitivity as far as God was concerned. Famous expression, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Scripture also says the fool says in his heart, there's no God. By implication, a fool is darkened in his understanding. The knowledge of the Lord is the fundamental basis of all real knowledge. To be foolish was to be darkened 
in one's understanding and knowledge of God. You too, if you're a believer, were once darkened in your knowledge. Paul says to Titus, you and I, all these people in Crete, didn't know God. And because we didn't know, we didn't understand that he created all things, that all things were upheld by his mighty power. We had no sense of purpose, no idea of eternal significance of life, because we didn't know God. We didn't understand the reality of having a relationship with God or even the reality of what it means to be in a relationship with one another. And in that lack of knowledge of God, our foolishness, we were darkened in our area of experience. If you think wrong about God at the most basic level, it affects everything. At one time, we were darkened in our understanding. But when Christ's light shone into the darkness of our lives, we realized how utterly dark it had been. Because at one time, we too were foolish. We are also disobedient to the truth. You see it again in verse 3. Disobedient, pretty clear. We can be disobedient to God in several ways. We can simply read the things that come from God's word and say, I don't believe that. I don't buy it. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm just going to simply ignore it. That's disobedience. But others would say, well, I believe what God says. I believe what the Bible teaches. But there are other considerations. And I don't want to do what God wants. I prefer to do what I want. That's disobedience. Many of us look back on a time when we lived in self-induced ignorance of what God says. When there was outright rebellion. You see, we too were once disobedient. Verse 3 goes on to say, we also at one time were deceived by lies. We used to live in deception. Now, it would be easy for us to point out time in our lives when God's truth burst into our consciousness and we began to understand how utterly wrong we'd been about God, about the world we live in, and about his truth. Because if I'm wrong about God, I'm wrong about the world. And if I'm wrong about the world, I'm wrong about humanity. If I'm wrong about humanity, I'm wrong about society. And if I'm wrong about God, I'm wrong about reality, period. And if we're wrong about God, it means I have, I have developed some kind of philosophy of life and lifestyle that I think is right. Because I've been deceived. But when God shines the truth into our lives, then we begin to understand that I've lived all these years deceived by error. We were deceived by the enemy of our souls. We live estranged from God and his truth. We used to live deceived. But that's not all. He says you used to be dominated by yourself. Look at the um, two words in the middle of verse 3. Enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. You see, people think pleasure is great. I mean, they're all for indulging in their own passions. Matter of fact, present society advocates it. What society doesn't say is what the Bible tells us. If that you, if, if you live indulging in your passions, solely interested in all your pleasures, you'll end up enslaved by those very passions and pleasures because you'll live for them. You'll live for the high. And if there's any sense of routine, you'll break out of it because you don't want routine, this whole idea of disciplining yourself. That's not when you live for your pleasures because you're always looking for the next high, the next fix, 
And pretty soon, life becomes living on Fantasy Island in a pursuit of that constantly. What's wrong? You're dominated by self-centeredness. That's what we used to be. Utterly dominated by our desire for pleasure. It was captivating, it was dominating, and it was enslaving. But we also used to be distorted in our relationships. Again, verse 3. Spending our life in what? Malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. It's pretty harsh. You see, if my relationship to God is wrong, then my relationship to myself is wrong. And if that's the case, then my relationship to other people will be wrong also. Notice the progression. We also were once foolish. That's towards God. We were deceived and enslaved. That's as far as myself is concerned. And then accordingly, we go on spending our life in malice. That affects the other relationships around us. So if I've lived my life making sure I was always happy, always fulfilling my passions, naturally I'm going to be upset and angry with those who would impede my pursuit of passion. And maybe you kind of can think of that in small terms. Here you want to do something um, in a particular part of the day, someone calls you or your child comes in and they're impeding what you want to do. And guess what? You get mad. You get frustrated. It's a reminder of how we used to live, how it used to be when we're distorted in our relationships. And so Paul wants to remind his, God's people about how they used to live. Can you look at it back at a time when you used to be like that? Can you now see a difference in your life? Which brings us to the second point. To remind God's people how they were saved. Verses 4 through 5. Thank goodness for that first word in verse 4, but it leads to a stark contrast of what's just been said. Why do we need reminding ourselves of how we used to live? Because if we do, we can start getting all excited again about how God saved us. How did he save us? Through an act of God. Salvation is an act of God. Not by your works. It's an act of God. It's all about what God did. You can know God in some capacities. You can know him as creator. Maybe sustainer, provider. Maybe you have a concept of him being a judge but you must know him as Savior. The one who did something about your sins. He needs to be known as Savior, the one who moved into your life and changes from the inside out, as we sang. It's an act of God when he came and saved mankind. Why did he do it? Verse 4. Because of his kindness. Notice the contrast at the end of verse 3. Hateful, hating one another, but in kindness... God, our Savior, came. He was kind. And it was his love that drove him to the cross. And maybe we've been brainwashed into thinking that if anything's going to be achieved in our lives, we're going to have to do it ourselves. Well, get this straight. If you never have, you cannot save yourself. You can't. It's impossible. You could never be good enough. But God in his loving kindness, his tender mercy, capacity as Savior moved into our lives and has done something for us we could not do for ourselves. He saved us from the way we used to live when we had nothing to offer. 
He saved us through an act of God. He also saved us through a fact. You see, salvation's a fact. He saved us. It's not something you feel and then don't. Salvation is rooted in history. It's rooted in the appearance of God, our Savior. If you look at verse 4, when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, we're saved by fact. Jesus really did come. He really did live a perfect life. He really did die and rise from the dead and ascend. And should we need reminding, he really will come again. Salvation is a fact. Now the word in verse 5, saved, in the tense, a Greek commentary points out, it's an accomplished fact. In other words, he has specifically, definitely, and certainly saved us. And so he saved us through an act. He saved us through facts, and he saved us through a promise. That's the beautiful message of all of Scripture. Salvation is a promise to us that God makes, that if we come to God in repentance and faith, we trust him to do for us what you can't do for ourselves. If we allow him to pick us up out of the situation we're in, his promise is he will do it. He promises he will save us from sin. God says to you and I, if you trust me as Savior, I promise to save you from your self-centeredness, from the consequences of your sin, from a lost eternity, to the point that that promise is so sure that we can do what that verse we just quoted, we can know that we have eternal life. And the only way we can know it is because he saved us as an act and as a fact and through a promise, you and I can know that we have eternal life. That's how you know we can be saved. Because we take God at his word and believe and we trust him. But then I can know him more definitely as time goes on. Because it's not a one-time thing to take God at his word and say, I trust you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I take you at your word that you saved me. Evidence of maturity is that we continue to take him at his word throughout our life. And so Paul has this progression. I need to remind God's people how they used to live. I need to remind them of how they saved, and, but now I need to remind them how they should live in light of the fact they've been saved. See, it's one thing to say God has reached into my life and done for me what I could never do for myself, but we need to be able to substantiate it. And we do it by the way we live, by the way we behave. Now this should be obvious, you would think, but we need to be continually reminded of this. It seemed to be what Paul wanted Titus to do. If you look at the passage of verse 3 again, remind them they were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. They spent their life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. Back to verse 1, he says, remind them of that. Remind them of some of these things, how they're to behave. They used to be this way. But they're not to behave that way anymore. They're to live a certain way. And so he starts out, remind them to respect authority. There's millions who profess to be saved, but they show no little evidence of it. And especially, it seems, in this generation, respecting authority has been thrown out the window. I hate to see a young person profess to be saved and disrespecting their teacher, their coach, their parent, Elders, 
It's unsettling to see people who profess to love Jesus, but who refuse to accept God's ordained authority. We see it with children who rebel, wives who refuse to align themselves with their husband's leadership, men who don't respect their authority in the marketplace where they work. Do you need to be reminded to respect authority? I mean, this last presidential race, how disheartening. As people on TV and the media just ripping each other. No respect for authority or respect for people. It's like they couldn't disagree with somebody and still respect the authority. It's thrown out the window. Culture so blurs the lines of authority. And it's even subtle ways. You hear people call their dad and mom by their first, and their first names. My kids would shudder to, to do that. That's just not a good idea in our home. It blurs the lines of authority. I don't let kids I coach call me by my first name. I don't like that. I don't like my kids calling someone who's, who's older than them in their adult years. I don't like them calling necessarily by their first name. We like to show respect. And cultures blurred the lines of this authority, and unfortunately it's carried into the church. Paul says to Titus, hey, remind my people they need to respect authority. And one way we are going to show that we are saved is our respectful attitude towards authority. It doesn't mean we always agree with it, but we're respectful towards it. Maybe you need that reminder this morning. He also says, remind them to be charitable. To be, if you look, ready for every good deed at the end of verse 1. In the Message Bible, the end of this verse says, God's people should be big-hearted and courteous. I think he's kind of getting the idea there. Christians should be on the front line when there's opportunities to be good and kind and charitable and big-hearted. When we live with a God-centered lifestyle, we'll be different. We'll have a different attitude towards authority and a healthy attitude towards charity. Maybe you need a reminder this morning to be big-hearted, to be charitable. He also says in verse 2, to malign no one, to be uncontentious. In other words, conduct yourselves, live with integrity. Integrity in your speech, integrity in your behavior. Say what's only true. Don't damage other with your words. I don't know how many hours I spent counseling others who've been hurt by someone else's tongue who've willingly gone out under the name of Christian sharing and slandered people with their tongue. Paul says to Titus, remind God's people not to slander others, to speak kindly, truthfully, with integrity. I got a little card, a note card I have, and it's about speech, and I try to make sure I look at it when it talks about um, speaking three things. Is it true? Be a good thing. I mean, when you speak something, make sure it's true, right? Is it confidential? 
Am I breaking confidence if I speak that? And the third one, is it actually necessary? Those are three good principles. When you speak to somebody, make it go through your head. Man, is this true? Is it, I mean, it's, am I sharing something in confidence? Is this really necessary for me to share this? I mean, we need to be disciplined in our speech. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning to let your speech be with integrity. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, I'm sorry, not that, end of verse 2, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. In other words, treat one another with dignity. Paul says to Titus, remind my people to treat each other with dignity. People who know they are saved feel this deep sense of dignity for all people because they remember how they used to live. They remember how they've been saved. So they're able to treat people with dignity, gentleness. You need to be reminded of that because that's how God's people live. That's how God's people behave. Do you need reminding this morning to treat others with dignity? Do you need to be reminded this morning that such were some of you? That's easy to look down at your neighbor and those you work with and say, man, they are messed up. They're not worthy of my help. They're beyond help. Maybe you need to be reminded of that. Maybe you need to be reminded that in a church, you want people to come here who are all messed up. Why? Because such were some of you. And maybe even are. And at times, even as Christians, we don't have it all together. Well, most times as Christians, we don't have it all together. And so treat one another with dignity. Paul says, Titus, remind them to be gentle. Have every consideration for all people. Be reminded this morning of how you used to live. It's emptiness, it's futility. How you were saved. That was the kindness of God. It was an act of God. He did what we never could. And be reminded of how God's people are to live. That you and I are to live as saved people. Not the way we used to. In other words, we need to orient ourselves. And being reminded helps us reorient ourselves. I was uh, talking with Cindy the, um, it was yesterday, the day before, and I said, hey, you know, over the years, up to about age 35, periodically I'd have seizures. They're just not a lot of fun for a lot of reasons. One is I could be in the middle of something. I just never know they're coming. And now all of a sudden I wake up and I'm really disoriented. And I, I remember in those moments that there's some pieces of a puzzle I slowly had to put together to kind of orient myself as to what was going on. One of them was... Where was I when this occurred? I, I always wanted my mind to go, where was this? Now, I've had a seizure in a pontoon, motel room, bathroom. I've had it in Mexico. I mean, I had them all over the place. And sometimes to reorient myself, I had to remember, okay, what, what was I just doing? And then where am I now? Sometimes I woke up in a hospital, sometimes in an ambulance, sometimes under a tree. It's kind of, okay, where am I right now? to try to reorient myself. And then, how did I get here? <laughs> I mean, okay, and kind of, so you're trying to put all these pieces together, 
And what I'm trying to do in those moments is to orient myself, to remind myself, okay, where am I right now, and, and, and what was I doing, and what am I supposed to be doing? And Paul's exhortation here is to remind God's people to orient themselves, to reorient themselves, to remember who they used to be, remember how they were saved, remember how they're to live. Wouldn't it be great if the church of Jesus Christ really saw their human condition, how they used to be? I mean, wouldn't it be great if the church of Jesus Christ really saw things from a heavenly perspective, i.e., how we were saved? And wouldn't it be great if the church of Jesus Christ would allow that to touch our hearts to the degree that we'd live as saved people. And wouldn't it be great if the church of Jesus Christ would say to a culture around us, there's an answer. There's an answer. And it's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful you speak. I don't have to guess right now that your Holy Spirit is reminding those of us in this room and even those who will listen to this over media. We know because Holy Spirit, these, this is the word of God, not the word of man. I'd like to thank you for these reminders. We need them. And I would pray this morning that you would reorient us as your people so we know how to live, how to think, in a way which brings you pleasure and communicates to a watching world that you are the answer. And I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.